Glad you're here this morning. My name is Blair. Uh, maybe you're back from last week. Maybe this is your first week here. We're in a new series that we're called Highs and Lows. And we're trying to figure out what to do when our life becomes unbalanced and we don't know how to get out from underneath it, particularly what happens when we get to the lows dominating in our lives. And I'm trying to convince you that sad isn't bad. Sad is an emotion that was created by God that when you interact with it in a way that's healthy could actually lead to some place that's good in your life. But that's really hard for us to understand and integrate in our culture. We just don't value it that same way. Um, we have a lot of, of ingrained kind of thinking on this. I was with a group of people this week. We were having a really good conversation, and somebody started sharing something important about their life. And um, they shed a few tears, and I thought it was good. I thought it was appropriate. I thought this was really, uh, this was great. And then they apologized for exposing everybody to their sadness. Because in our culture, again, it's not their fault. This is just what we do. We believe that if we expose you to something that's bad, we should apologize for that. And so we apologize for our sadness when, in fact, exposing people to our sadness would be a far better way to go about things than what we currently do. And so things are just messed up in our culture on this topic. Um, this morning, what I want to help uh, you wrestle with or think about, maybe accept, is that um, sadness is meant to take you through a process. And that if you could value it as such, that it was a beginning, a, a beginning of a process that it could take you somewhere, something good would happen. Uh, last week, we said mourning and sorrow plus hope is kind of the formula that God uses to grow things in us, to, to take mourning and sorrow and make something good out of it. Uh, I've been avoiding a word uh, last week, and this week I'm going to bring it into the conversation only because... Uh, it's got something that we need in it. I've been avoiding it because it has so many preconceived ideas connected with it that some people have a hard time even having conversations about this, but the scriptures use it. The scriptures use this word right along with mourning and sorrow to describe what happens in our lives when we find something to be sad about. It's the word grief. It would use the word grieve or grief. Um, grieving would be there as well. And I love the description that the, if, like putting it into English is kind of cool uh, because the picture they would use is this swallowed by sadness. That's what grief is. You're swallowed by sadness. And I don't know if you've ever been there where a situation has kind of come into your life and it's all consuming. You can't think about anything else. You can't eat. You can't sleep very well. It just takes up all of your time and energy, and it's exhausting, and it's consuming you. And it's that kind of thing um, that God says, hey, I want to step into that moment and take you through a process. Now, part of the reason I haven't wanted to bring grief up is because most of the way we think about this is that it's for something big. It's got to be like a death of a loved one. And you could see why swallowed by sadness would be a really good definition of that. It would just consume you if something like that happened. But there's all kinds of other things that take place that also swallow us with sadness. And we've kind of discounted that. And so when we hear the word grief, we don't even think 
that that could be part of something that we need to deal with or we need to wrestle with. But the reason I brought it up, the reason I'm bringing this up is because there's at least one really good thing about grief that's happening in our culture. How many of you have heard about the process that's connected with grief? How many of you have heard of the five stages of grief? Would you raise your hand if you at least heard of it? You've heard somebody talk about it. Okay, quite a few people. See, the fact that that process exists is important to us because I'm going to add a layer to it, um, a different process that I think God invites us to, and they have some things in common. Now, a part of the difficulty with a process of grief that we currently have in our culture, I see two things that are problematic. One I've already addressed. We don't look at the stuff that we're going through and think that it merits that kind of process. That, that's just for big things. It's not for me. And so uh, we kind of discount that and set that aside. But the other big problem with the five stages of grief in our culture is we don't understand how it works. We think we do. And so uh, when we see people going through it and we respond to them, I've watched a lot of bad things unfold. So that's where we're going to start because I think if we can get some um, of that picture right, then it's going to help us when we roll to the one that God wants to release in our lives, a process that takes us through sadness to a place of comfort. Um, but to get started, here's what I want to do. I put a little piece of paper in each row with a pen, and maybe you put up some chairs yourself. You won't have that, so you're just going to have to do this out of your brain. But here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to work with your row, the people that you're sitting with, and I want you to list the five stages of grief. Can you list the five stages of grief? You get one point for the right idea and one point if you put it in the right order, okay? So there's five stages. We're going to put on a little bit of music in the background. We'll let you talk and see if you can get that figured out, and then we're going to come back and see where we're at. Here you go, five stages. What are you guys laughing about? We're talking about grief. What's happening down there? <laughs> Don't mind. Okay. Look away, Blair. All right. Okay, I see people on their phones. You better be making the list on your phone and not looking this stuff up. What's going on here? Mr. Google is not your friend during this time. This is your brain we're looking for. All right, let's see where everybody's at. Uh, who, who has number one on their list? Denial. I would deny your caress, but you are correct. Denial is number one. How many have had that as the number one? Okay, quite a few people. Uh, what was the next one? Anger. Yeah. How many of you so far? Is everybody clipping along here? Yeah? Um, next one, bargaining. Who had bargaining? That was going to be a hard one. 
Ooh, many of you still have, you're still on track. Okay, what, so then what's number four? Depression, yes. How many have had depression? Oh, it's getting narrowed down, it's getting whittled down here just a little bit. And then the final one is acceptance, yes. Okay, it sounded like a lot of you had these. How many of you had all five? You had all five and you were close. So maybe three or four groups, okay? I want to put a graphic up that shows you this process of these stages of grief. And I want to make a few observations based on what you see on this board. One, grief stirs up a boatload of emotions. There's a ton that flow into your life, and it's why it becomes so tricky. Because sometimes you're angry And what you don't realize is that you're sad and you haven't been able to express your sadness and it's coming out in a different way. And it doesn't even cross your mind that you're dealing with the sadness that you were dealing with because it's a different emotion. But the other thing that strikes me about this little graphic is it's really logical and neat, which works really well for the Western culture. That's the way we like, I like logic. I like things in order. I think logically. It makes sense to me. And so we go into this process, and we're going along, and part of the problem is we think this is a logical thing. So some people try to manage this on their own, thinking, well, all I have to do is just get through my denial. I'll deal with my anger. I'll sort out the bargaining that I have. I'll work my way through depression, and then I'm I'm home free. And I don't need to involve others because I know the process. I just have to manage it. I just have to manage myself through this. There's one problem. At least the people that I watch going through this idea of grief or sadness, this next graphic is a better representation of what happens. It is everywhere all the time. There's no order to it. It's sheer chaos. You could could go through a period of anger for a couple months Find your way through that, and you're finally done with some bargaining. You've been depressed about that, and you're about to grab onto acceptance, and all of a sudden, you're angry again. I watched my wife struggle through something that took three years with all kinds of bouts of anger, where it would start all over and be like, what just happened here? Well, something else came out. Something else came up, and there was no order to any of it. It was just chaos. And so there was a boatload of emotions going on, but there wasn't any order to it. And unfortunately, what happens is that that happens in our lives and it happens with people that we love. And sometimes we say things to them like, isn't it time for you to move on? And it's not like they weren't trying, but the process is messy. It's complex. And instead of giving grace for this thing that's messy and complex to work out in our lives, we expect some sort of logical conclusion to this. And when it doesn't happen, we actually think we're broken. And we stop talking about it. I shouldn't be angry. I already went through anger. I don't know what's going on. I thought I left that behind. I must be the problem. You're not the problem. The process is a mess. And this is why I think this is important is because the the process I'm about to take you into the scriptures in, I think God has another process that lays on top of this. It's just as messy. 
it, it makes sense. There's logic to it. But the order of it and how it plays out in your life is going to feel as complex and messy because it's also dealing with a boatload of emotions. This is just true about grief, about sorrow, about mourning. When you're feeling a loss of something, it just stirs up all kinds of stuff. But God has a way that he wants to interject hope into it, and it's a process that unfolds in your life. And here's the thing. I can't take you to the scriptures and say, here's this neat little process in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. And this is how it's going to flow and go for you because it doesn't exist. The, the process that I found, I found because I paid attention to how the scriptures talked about sorrow, mourning, and grief. I paid attention to the things that they were saying were happening to them, what they felt, what they thought about. And then I found a few verses that seemed to encapsulize some of the stuff that was happening across all of the scriptures, and that's where I'm going to focus. But it's not neat and orderly. I want to take you to Lamentations chapter 3. Uh, we were there last week, and I don't know if I said it then, but I will say it now. If you want a great place to go and look at sadness, look at the value of it, and what God can do by injecting hope into your life, Lamentations is the place to go and read. For two and a half chapters, they talk about how bad life is. And then it turns. It turns on hope. And hope gets interjected into the story, and it changes everything for the writers. And I want you to see some of the things that they say mattered to them that actually caused hope to show up. So that's where I want to start. I want to start by how in the world they engaged hope. So I'm going to take you to Lamentations 3.25, and this is what it said. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. That's the key ingredient with mourning, sorrow, and grief. There's got to be some hope. But then he goes on to the say, to the one who seeks him. So this hope comes up for the one who seeks him. And then in verse 26, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Now, at first blush, when I read those two words, seeking and waiting quietly, they appear to be opposites to me, which is why this process is messy. I want you to seek. I want you to go look. I want you to scrap. I want you to dig in. I want you to wait. Which is it? When? How am I supposed to go about doing this? How do I do this both neatly? Well, maybe we should understand um, the seeking that he's talking about. The scriptures are really clear. Um, Jesus even said, look, if you seek, you'll find. And so the seeking when it comes to sorrow, when it comes to sadness, is about finding a way to engage God in your sadness. You're taking the boatload of emotions that you're experiencing, and you're exposing God to all of those. He hears it all from you. It could be that you're praying. You're constantly in a, a, a position of prayer before him. It could be that you're reading the scripture. You're going to find out what the scriptures has to say about this very thing that you're going through. You just want to understand more. And you find a way to just listen and maybe for you, you even just, you listen to music. You put some music on and you put yourself in a place where you can engage God as much as you can. Now, here's how this might work for a process that we know and understand. So you're in a, a, a stage of grief and you're in denial 
and you introduce God to your denial. This is, I just don't buy this. I just don't think this. I just don't understand this, which is an incredible thing to do because God knows truth. And you're exposing somebody who will speak the truth to you to the denial that you're feeling, and it becomes an opportunity for God to change some things for you. You expose them to your anger. I'm angry right now at this situation. I'm angry at you, God. And you tell him the truth. And he takes that anger, and he starts sorting through it with you. The same thing with bargaining. What if I had done? What if I had said? What if I had done this instead? All of that kind of stuff, you set that before God. You engage him in some way with it. Your depression, all of that, you speak it. You share it. Why? Because God has an opportunity to change your perspective when that happens. He has an opportunity to speak into your life in ways that you could never have imagined that that could happen. But here's, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Have you ever had a thought in your head and then you said it out loud to a friend and as soon as it came out of your mouth, you said, well, that can't be right, right? I can't believe I think that. I'm going to have to change the way I think because now that I've said it out loud, I know that's wrong. That's exactly what can happen with God too. I'm saying this out loud, and it allows the perspective to change. I told you last week, we found in the scriptures that when you become sad, God turned towards you. He turns towards you. He's attentive. He's listening. He wants to be available to you. But this is the second part of this. See, I've discovered in my marriage that when we're having some issues, if one of us turns to solve the problem, but the other one doesn't, the problem doesn't get solved. But when we both turn towards each other, a conversation can happen. We can start to understand the perspective of the different person and we can get somewhere. Here's the deal. God's already turned towards you. The seeking is you turning back towards God. It's giving him an opportunity to reshape the way you think and see the world. But it starts with you seeking him. I just want to understand more. I want to, get, I want to get some wisdom about what's happening in my situation. So it starts with seeking. And here's what I'm convinced. I'm convinced that some of the darkest moments of your life will be the most important, most important moments of your life just simply because you meet God in a way that you could not have any other way. He's already there. It's when you turn to him that the whole story starts to change. But it's not the whole story. It also says, I want you to wait. And when I wrestled with, well, what in the world does that look like? How can I be, how can I be this intent-seeking person and at the same time find these moments where I'll wait? And Psalm chapter 40 came across my path, and this started to make sense to me. David is writing, He's writing about a conflict, a loss that he's had in his life. And this is how he opens it. In verse 1 of Psalm 40, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. I sought out God. I wanted to speak what was going on with my life. And because I did that, he heard me. 
I don't know how often I've heard people tell me in times of deep sadness that they are convinced that God is not listening to them. And the more I've probed that over the years, the more I've come to this conclusion. I think what people are saying when they say that is that God is not doing what I expected him to do on the time frame I expected him to do it. And I want action. And when he doesn't act the way I thought he would or should act, I chalk that up as to him not listening. And what you've missed is that the almighty creator of the universe has given you his ear. And he wants you to unload this burden that you're carrying This sadness that weighs you down, he wants to hear about it. He wants to engage with you. And sometimes you have to wait to see what he's going to do with that. And sometimes I think the waiting takes place because it is a boatload of emotions. And you think you've unburdened yourself. And he knows it's not over. And so he's waiting. He's waiting until you tell him it all. Until you just put it all on the table. But in the process of waiting, this is what starts to happen. This is verse 2. So David's crying out to God, and then he says, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. That opening line, slimy pit, mud and mire, I think describe the sense of sadness when when you're in the lows and your life is unbalanced and you feel weighted down. It feels like you're in a mire, and you could walk, but it's going to be a drag. You're just going to drag yourself along. And, and David says, listen, in that state, you lifted me out. Well, how does waiting lift you out of something like this? I'm convinced that in the waiting process, God is at work in your life to do some specific things. I, I think there's any number of things. I found two in the scriptures that when you were willing to engage the process of sorrow, the process of mourning, that God does some very specific things in your life that actually lead to comfort. So this is 2 Corinthians 7.10. This is the Apostle Paul writing this. And he said, godly sorrow, sorrow where you're engaging God with your sadness. You're telling him everything. You're putting it out there in the open. It leads to repentance, to salvation, and it leaves no regret. Isn't that incredible? I've talked to a number of people who, in their sadness, they feel guilty for choices that they made or things that they could have or should have done. And I think sometimes we need to wait to allow God to speak to us about that very particular thing that's going on in our heart so that we can receive a sense of forgiveness. No, that's not yours to carry. I'm going to free you from that. Why don't you just repent of it and be done with it? You don't have to carry this any longer. And I watch people in bouts of sadness carry regret for years. It makes them sick. And it didn't have to do that because God wanted to find a way to lift that from you, to give you a place to stand where your feet could be firm, knowing I'm forgiven. I don't carry this. This isn't my story anymore. And without that sense of regret, hope 
gets introduced to your life. There's a second thing I found. This is in 1 Peter. This is 1, chapter 1, verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I love this because it's grief of all kinds. Again, we think of it as big things, but it's all kinds of stuff. Little things, big things, medium things, where you're going to suffer sadness. But he says this about it. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in. These have come because I'm going to grow you in a process that there will be outcomes of your life that you never would have experienced any other way. And you're going to need patience for this to unfold. See, sometimes your circumstance doesn't change. You do. You outgrow it. You're stretched. Your faith is stretched. Your trust in God is grown bigger. And although this hasn't changed, now you're different. And the situation that would have been like a rock on your life before doesn't hold that weight anymore. And that process of growth takes time. And so there has to be a sense of patience as you're going through what you're going through to allow God to do what he's going to do. See, I don't think it's just those two things that God's at work and doing, I think he burns the candle on both ends all the time. He's doing stuff in our lives that you can't see or understand. And patiently waiting for that to unfold becomes part of our story. I'm seeking you. I'm intent about it. But I'm going to wait because I know you're doing some work. And I might not see it. And I might not understand it. But I know your intention is to put me on a rock and give me a foundation once again. So I'm going to wait. And then back in Psalm 40, the unthinkable happens. Verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth. A hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. The unthinkable happens is that God somehow finds a way to take you through a process where all of a sudden the things that start coming out of your mouth are praise. Like, I'm grateful for this experience. You would never think that you could be grateful for that thing of sadness in your life. But God takes it and he does some things with it. See, here's what I've discovered in looking at Psalm 40 and Lamentations 3 and other sections of Scripture that talk about grief. I want you to hear this because this is central to everything that, that has to do with sadness being good beneficial to your life. The hope that you need in your sadness is God himself. And when you engage him and you bring him into the process, he changes your whole perspective that you would have looked at life a different way. He starts to say, listen, because of who I am, because of how I've shown up in your life, because of what I do and what I can do, you have hope. And when he gets held out, he misses out on doing the kind of work he wants to do in your life. And what's weird is we hold him out all the time. And because we've not understood the process of grief, we've not given permission to people around us to grieve. Well, here's what it would look like, I think. I think things would really change if people had the ability to say to you out loud, I 
am sad. I've realized how healthy this is to start doing. I've started to make it a practice in my own life just to say the truth. I am sad because it opens up a process for me to engage God in a way that I wouldn't any other way. And what would happen if somebody said that to you and you guided them toward God? This is different than defending God. There are a lot of people who speak up in defense of God for somebody who's feeling sorrowful and sad. I'm at funerals all the time, and people will come to me in the midst of this and say, somebody just said something to me, and it was really hurtful, but I know that they had their best intentions, so I'm just going to ignore it. And you, you know what I realize when that happens? They have more grace for the people who are coming and visiting them than the people who are visiting to comfort them are. What if, what if our goal was just simply to guide them to God, to pray for them right there in the spot, to offer them the truth that I hope you pour this stuff out to God, he really wants to hear it, that we offer them some verses, that we, maybe we send them a song, that we give them permission to go through a messy process and we don't freak out about it because they haven't moved on and moved through it yet, but we know that God could meet them and change their perspective if we would just guide them to him. And so he becomes central in this whole process of healing. And for many people, God becomes the last person that you approach because you're embarrassed about your shame. You're embarrassed about this. I shouldn't have this sense of loss in my life. Shouldn't have this grief, this sorrow, this mourning. And you miss the work of Almighty Creator God who wants to walk with you, change your perspective, put your feet on a solid ground. I'm hoping you'll start to consider the sadness that enters your life differently, and I hope that you'll start to interact with people who are going through that differently, allowing them to go through that process for as long as it takes for God to do what he's going to do in their lives. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you're in a bout of sadness right now, but I want you to know it's okay. It's okay for you to lean into that. God wants to hear from you, and if you will seek him out, you will find him, and he will change your story. I truly believe that. Can I pray with you? God, I've watched um, the issue of sadness in people's lives for a long time. And it leads to a lot of bad places because we have not found healthy ways to engage it. And I ask that this would be the beginning of a change, that people would say, my sadness could end up being this incredible gift from God. It's emotion that gets this stuff out of my life, but it has to be expressed. It has to be talked about. And if they don't think they have anybody to talk with it about, they have you. Almighty creator of the universe has lent his ear to hear our sorrow and our mourning. I asked you would have 
I ask that you would give us the courage to just speak to you, to just tell you the truth, to wait as you do the work that you do. God, there are people here who need to be freed of their regret. There are others who need to grow. There are still others who just need to hear that you love them. God, may you step into moments of sadness and change the story as only you can. Our God of hope, we love you. Please do your work. In Jesus' name, amen.